Welcome to We Are Free. I am your host, Becky Morquecho, and you're listening to episode 32. This is a podcast about letting go of what we think our lives should look like and the sweet freedom God has for us on the other side of surrender. My guest today is Michelle Seibert, and I am so honored to have Michelle here with us today. Uh, Michelle lost her 14-year-old son, Luke, to cancer uh, just a little more than three months ago. And if you know the Seibert family, you know him as Luke the Brave. And if you know Michelle at all, or you've been following along their family's journey, you know that uh, Michelle is very brave too. Uh, Michelle, just thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. That's good. Uh, Michelle, honestly, you've just been a light. Like anybody just following along, you guys, cheering for you, praying for you, like everything you put out in the world. I mean, you've just been a light, honestly. And what I've seen and experienced over and over again is you proclaiming God's goodness in the midst of the hardest days of your life. And that is an incredible inspiration to the rest of us who have not endured what you have. Um, So I'm just so grateful to have you and honored to hear like how he is working and how he has worked over the years. So just thank you for being willing to tell Luke's story and just what God is doing in your life. Yeah, we, um, well, first of all, uh, thank you for that um, glowing introduction. I Any light that I have, I feel uh, comes from God and, and Christ in me. And I will tell you that I am the, uh, as you know, I am an Enneagram six. <laughs> so my natural tendency is towards anxiety and the fact that Um, we are able to be a voice and share Luke's story at all. It's a testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how God has really not only ministered to us, um, but to our whole family and how we are able to um, really share about what God has done and be a light in through it. So I'm very humbled that, uh, that you think that I'm a light. (laughs) You are, you definitely are. Uh, Michelle, take us back to the beginning of it all. Um, how old was Luke, uh, when you first got his diagnosis? What was your life like at the time? Was he having symptoms of anything? Yeah, so Luke was nine years old when he was first diagnosed. It started with a bloody nose. Um, he was at Disneyland with uh, his cousins and his grandmother. And he had, you know, it was a November, it was like mid November, and he had had a bloody nose that day. And uh, we didn't really think anything of it. And it was you know, like Santa Ana wins and the next, he didn't have one for the next several days. And then about four days later, he had another one. And then a few days after that, he had another one. And, and I started to get concerned, but that was the only symptom that he had. Um, and that he would have for the beginning of his, the diagnosis time. And we did all of the proper, uh, things. We took him to his doctor. We took him to urgent care. Then everyone 
uh, referred us to a specialist and not out of concern, but just out of, hey, just to make sure we know this would make you feel better to have everything checked out. And so um, that's what we did. We went to the specialist and she put a little scope his nose and she found a little mass. Um, again, nothing to be overly concerned about. But uh, when he had the CT scan uh, from that mass discovery, mm-hmm. I mean, masses in nose can be lots of different things. They can be polyps, they can be a collection of blood vessels, and it's it's really nothing to worry about for the average person. I don't want to scare people. Yeah. To, you know, uh, if your child has a bloody nose, it is very normal to have those things. It's when the bloody nose doesn't stop that okay. you should take them in to get checked out, which is what we did. We did all the proper things. And so he had the bloody nose and he had the CT scan And then he had a surgery, um, a biopsy to kind of biopsy that area, see what was going on, get a closer look. And that is when um, they said that they believed that the mass was malignant. And if you ask Trevor and I, we have very different uh, recollections (laughs) of the time. I remember sitting in the doctor's office and hearing the words from, you know, the thing that you dread the most is when the doctor sits across the table from you and says, you know, we believe that this mass is malignant. Mm -hmm. And I remember that very clearly. Trevor remembers getting a call from the oncologist to say, your son has cancer We're bringing him in on this day. He's going to have a surgery. Um, At the time, that doctor was a very type A personality and she's very like cut and dry. Yeah. So he remembers that phone call. um, And so we remember it differently, but the sentiment was the same, that it was a very life-changing, life-altering time in our lives. Yeah. So November was the first bloody nose. When was this? When was... Uh, Yeah. So about a month later, mid-December, it took about, uh, it took several weeks to sort of get into the, um, you know, you're just doing all the proper things. You're going to the, um, your primary care and then you're going to a specialist. And if you've ever done anything like that with your child, it takes, it takes a week Mm -hmm. to get the appointment and then a week to get a follow-up call. And then, so it just, it's just sort of progressed along. And it wasn't until mid-December that we, that he, in mid-December, he'd gone in for the um, short biopsy. Mm -hmm. And that was when we started to really realize, oh my gosh, this is, this is very serious. And uh, I would say the 20, around the 21st, 20th, 21st is when um, we went into the hospital for his, um, his, they call it a tumor resection surgery. And they're going to remove as much as they can and debulk it. And then, um, then they would start chemo. Okay. And so just the way that it worked out and that they did not want to stop, uh, he ended up spending 
Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in the hospital and the week after that. And he had his surgery, his tumor resection surgery on Christmas Eve and his first chemotherapy dose on Christmas Eve. And he was officially diagnosed with a rare uh, bone cancer called osteosarcoma. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very rare for it to occur in the sinus skull base area back behind your nose. um, There is some soft tissue back there and that's where it originated. And um, so he was diagnosed with osteosarcoma and it would mean uh, 10 months of intensive treatment. So he would spend four days out of every seven inpatient receiving chemotherapy he received three different kinds of chemotherapy and then two different kinds of rescue medicine. You know, when you, when a child has chemotherapy, it can do, well, when an adult has chemotherapy, um, even it can do, it can like wreak havoc on your organs and your heart. And, uh, so the, he had rescue medicine for his heart and bladder. And that's why he had to be inpatient because the chemo was pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's cancer is different. And some people just go into an infusion center and some people spend, you know, a day or two in the hospital once a month. Uh, but Luke's was pretty intensive. Mm-hmm. And so we would spend four days in the hospital and then be home for three and then we would have short three week breaks and we would be back back in and that lasted uh 10 months what do you tell a nine-year-old what like yeah I am so thankful that uh that (laughs) that the hospital Rady Children's we were at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego and I'm so thankful for a um auxiliary staff called a child life specialist they are trained on um how to tell children that they have cancer and how to talk about chemo Mm -hmm. and how to, um, how to really broach that subject. And at nine years old, um, I don't, I don't know if we used cancer. We didn't use the word cancer for maybe the first month. I think we were just saying mass or, um, spot and that he needed medicine and that he was going to have to spend some time in the hospital. Um, kids are smart and they pick up on things, but, um, Luke was also, I mean, just from the time he was little, he's very, um, innately joyful and innately, uh, um, carefree. And so, if you told him he had a spot, he was like, okay, I'm here and I have a spot. I have a mass and I'm going to get through this and it's going to be okay. And, um, we spent a lot of time in the hospital helping him cope with being in the hospital, making it fun. His nurses made, um, made Nerf gun targets on the wall. (laughs) So that he would have, like, he, he couldn't get out of his bed, but he could shoot the Nerf gun and earn prizes. Yeah. And, um, Brady's yeah. is pretty great. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so our child life specialist helped us talk about, talk to him and say that he had cancer and they were with us at that time mm-hmm. and they were a great support to us to be able to communicate those really, really tough truths. And they encouraged us to just use use simple language yeah. to not overcomplicate it, to not be doom and gloom, but to just really be honest, open and use the, the only the words necessary yeah. and yeah. don't overburden them with words that, you know, all of your, it's our tendency as parents to sort of um, convey our own anxieties or our mm-hmm. own um, feelings, and they really encouraged us to step back from that and just convey the cold, not the cold hard facts. Call but it just what it fact. is versus yes, like call it what it is. Attaching it is emotion. cancer. Don't lie. Yeah, and then let let the child guide you. That was really the number one thing was to let your child guide you. If your child is feeling sad, be sad with them. Yeah. If yeah. they're not sad, then don't don't be sad because you think they need to be sad. So that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you guys, your life obviously like drastically changed. You had just typical, yes. you have two kids, you're going about your business yes. and then you find out Luke has cancer and you're in the hospital on and off for 10 months. Like yes. what was the hardest part about that for you? Um, like what was your reality then? Luke had a gratefully joyful spirit. Like how, where were you yes. at? Yes. Um, I was pretty good. I, you know, Luke, Luke is so, his, his spirit was so contagious during that time that you went along with him on all of the joy that he had in the hospital. And, uh, he was also, you know, there were moments where he wasn't, um, he wasn't having a good time. He was in pain. He was throwing up from the chemo and you're just there supporting him. Um, I didn't have a lot of downtime during that, during being in the hospital. I was constantly caring for Luke. What did he need next? You know, um, they're so good at the hospital about they had, we had a case manager and they had everything laid out on the plan for chemo. So, you know, as an Enneagram six, (laughs) I felt very prepared and very well uh, supported. Um, At home, it was a struggle for Trevor and I to um, have time together alone, have um, any sort of date night. And, our daughter Kaya had to be shuffled around to a lot of different places. She was 10 at the time and then became 11. And she really wanted to be with her friends. And thankfully she was being homeschooled at that time. So there wasn't um, that she had friends she could go to their houses and be homeschooled by my wonderful friends in our growth group that took over a lot of that responsibility. Um, But she had a lot of um, struggles with that. She had a lot of struggles with uh, being carted off to different houses, not knowing when I was coming home, not, you know, Trevor would come down on the weekends to be with Luke. And um, 
that was difficult. That was a difficult time for her and a difficult time for us. Excuse me. A difficult time for us in our relationship with her and being able to provide the same kind of um, as much normalcy as possible. There just wasn't a way to provide 100% normalcy, but we tried really hard. Um, We also tried to do as much as we could as a family together and be together during the times that we were home and on those breaks. And in the evenings, we played a lot of games. We watched a lot of movies. Um, So it was, it was definitely a struggle um, on the family front. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the Lord, the Lord saw us through. And um, after that 10 months, it was relearning in September, he was declared uh, no evidence of disease, or they call it NED. Okay. And he was declared, uh, you could say cancer-free, but doctors and um, staff don't always like to use that word. Um, they just like to say no evidence of disease. Yeah. So... It- when you first when you first had the diagnosis, it wasn't anywhere else. Did they were they concerned that it had spread? They obviously did the you know the chemo, right? So did they say um, like what was it had not okay? It had not spread. It was just in the um, nasal sinus mm-hmm. skull base. The body is weird. <laughs> there are some there are some um, wonderful. Uh, areas in the sinus that I had no idea were there. And um, so it was just in that area and it had not penetrated the brain, had not penetrated the eye. They were very worried about that. And it had not gone anywhere else in his body. So it was the surgery and then chemo. The way that osteosarcoma normally works is it's normally found in an extremity, like a leg or an arm or um somewhere in that those primarily those two areas but it can be found anywhere that there is soft tissue and bone in the body and so we were concerned but it had stayed away yeah and I believe you know that plus the chemotherapy protocol that he was on was top-notch. It was a protocol from St. Jude uh, Research Hospital because um, Brady Children's is a part of the Miracle Network hospitals. So we had access to that, the -the state-of-the-art protocol, and the chemo just did a great job. Yeah. So So. you think he's, after 10 months, he's done. You guys go back to life. Yeah. He's declared. After 10 months, Mm -hmm. he had about a month of not being able to go back to school because his white blood cells were still low and he was immunocompromised. But after about a month, he went back to school. That was uh, late 2015. And we got quote, back to normal. It was sort of a back to new normal because if you have ever known anyone to have cancer or um, have had cancer yourself or, you know, it, there's just no normal after that. It's just new normal. And he had to be checked out every three, mo- every three months. Well, every other month for about the first six months, then every three months, then every six months. Mm -hmm. And we got to 2016, 
2019, I believe. Um, Luke finished, uh, was a mid junior high, mid eighth grade, 2019. So four years later after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Four years later. And, uh, he, he was a runner and he, he took after his dad, his dad is a runner. So he was a runner for the junior high group, his team, the junior high team. And he'd been experiencing some pain in his, um, shin area and, Trevor and uh, I had attributed that to just um, shin splints. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, shin splints and just being an athlete and running through pain. And it wasn't until, uh, well, two things. One, uh, a little bit before that, he just hadn't been feeling himself. He just he just was tired and he seemed like he was coming down with a cold or the flu or something. And he just was tired and kind of achy all over, but not presenting like a clear cut thing. Mm -hmm. So I let him stay home from school and one day and we watched movies and if you've ever known a teenage boy or a junior high boy, junior high boys aren't like, hey, mom, let's snuggle. <laughs> and he was very snuggly mm -hmm. and very tired. And um, it was a wonderful day. Um, I mean, until uh, he got up from the couch after watching the movie and he got really dizzy. And he just was standing there and he said, I said, Luke, are you OK? And he just, he didn't answer me and he just was facing away from me. And then he fell back on his bottom and kind of looked like he was staring off into space. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever been dizzy, you know that that you kind of sort of black out, but it feels kind of weird. And so that is what happened is he was getting dizzy and he was scared. And I said, are you okay? And he said, no. And then... I brought him up to the couch and I called his case manager and, you know, we talked it over and it sounded like he might have um, had an episode of orthostatic hypertension. And that is just sort of because he was so tall and gangly, <laughs> teenagers that are growing really fast often get that. They get dizzy when they stand up. And so we thought that was, we thought that was it. And then a couple of days later, I was taking him to school and he was grimacing and sort of holding his leg. And I said, how long has your leg been hurting like that? And he said, two weeks. And I didn't even stop at the school. I just, and he said it hurt really bad. And so I just drove straight to the pediatrician and I said, when is your next appointment? We'll, we will wait mm -hmm. and you need to look at his leg. And when we got inside to the pediatrician, to the room, the exam room, and they showed his leg, his like right around his ankle, like above his ankle was really swollen. And anybody else I would have said, oh, it looks like you sprained your ankle or you broke your ankle or whatever. 
But I knew at that point something was not right. So then we had a um, x-ray and we were coming home from the x-ray and they told us that same day, like this all happened in the same day, they said to drive straight to the ER. And so we drove straight to the ER and... um, This was just you and Luke? This is just me and Luke. I called Trevor. I called my parents, called Trevor's parents. And we, it was just a whirlwind from there. Uh, They said likely the osteosarcoma was back and um, it was in the leg. And they weren't sure if it was another primary osteosarcoma or it was a recurrence of the same osteosarcoma, which we found out later it was the same uh, the same, it was a recurrence of the same osteosarcoma. Okay. Just, you know, cancer cells can hide and be sneaky. And so, um, yeah. So this was the end of 2015 or you, no, 2019. Yeah. This was the uh, beginning of 2019, March, uh, the late, late March of 2019. So like a little more than a year ago. Yes. Yeah, just a little more than a year ago. And um, at that point, we knew, well, I should say I knew that um, Luke has, Luke also has, I should tell you, Luke also has what's called Lee-Fraumini syndrome. And it's a mutation of a gene in the body that prevents you from getting cancer. Your parents each have one and they give it to you. And one of Luke's genes copies was mutated and we thought that I had given it to him because I'd had cancer when I was 29 um very type uh, stage one um uterine cancer that didn't require any sort of treatment other than surgery but uh his spontaneously mutated so I did not have it only he had it that made him that much more likely to get cancer and so I knew sort of, or I figured, or, you know, as a type six, planning for worst case scenario. Yeah, putting up the wall uh, <laughs> yeah. to protect yourself. I pretty much knew that we were, I didn't know how much time, but I pretty much knew we were on borrowed time. And I was hoping for as much time as possible. And they encouraged us to go on a family vacation before we started treatment because the treatment was going to be, again, a very long 10 months, very similar to the first one. But he had received his lifetime maximum of one of the chemotherapies. And you can't get that again. You can't get the same chemotherapy again. Okay. So we tried a new protocol And um, that began in April, right after his birthday. So his birthday is April 9th. So we spent Hawaii, we spent his birthday in Hawaii. Um, We were blessed with tickets to Hawaii. And um, we have friends that live over there. And we had a fantastic time. Um, My parents um, paid for us to stay in a hotel for part of the time. And we got to go on a lot of really fun adventures there. Um, And we uh, came back from that and immediately started treatment for him. And he was inpatient uh, again for four days. It was a little bit different. I'm trying to remember how many days, but... 
you said, uh, Michelle, that you knew like in your heart that you were on okay. borrowed time before you guys went to Hawaii. Did the doctors give you guys an amount of time? Were they saying this or is this just they something? They did not. Um, they, um, you know, doctors are amazing and they really, from their experience, everyone, every child that gets cancer experiences it differently and even the same cancer in the same spot can behave differently in different children and so I think that they were just like we're gonna take one day at a time we're gonna take one step at a time we're just going to we're not gonna worry about outcomes right now we're just going to worry about getting Luke the treatment that he needs yeah and I mean nobody I didn't ask I was alone because Trevor had to work um, because we had just gone to we had just yeah. in a way yeah and so um, I was alone when they um, sort of had that hard conversation that yes this is osteosarcoma and before we left for vacation they did say that it had metastasized to his lungs and um, that that he would need a very invasive lung surgery after um he was supposed to have a leg amputation as well. Just was a lot in a very short amount of time. And you're expected to process just really, really hard news. Like not only does your child have cancer again, but they are going to need their leg amputated. And that is the um, only way to get all of the cancer in that area. And again, different children, different spots, other children have been able to save their legs and other children have only been able to have a um, like foot amputation. And it's just, it's different for every child in every case. So for Luke, it was below the knee, but very high, um, high up. And that was scheduled and they, he was going to do chemo and then uh, surgery and then chemo, and then the lung surgery. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening? So we had the first chemo, and his blood counts dropped, and then we had to go back into the hospital for him to receive a blood transfusion and just to be sort of in a hospital room safe, you know, when his counts are zero, and he, has a fe he had a fever. And... Um, then we went home and then he had his second dose of chemotherapy and he again got a fever. Uh, but at that time, he had a bloody nose again and he had sort of his eye was looking strange and it was um, kind of swollen and dark and in the hospital over a span of two days, he just kept getting worse and worse. And we had emergency surgeries at two in the morning to go in and look at that. Um, and it, they came back to us with the diagnosis of mucor mycosis. And it is a near fatal fungal infection. And there 
what they had to immediately stop chemotherapy because the low white blood cells was contributing to his, um, the mucor sort of proliferating and taking over. Mucor is like a, it's in the air. We breathe it all the time. But people that don't have suppressed immune systems mm-hmm. can kind of process it and get it out mm-hmm. and not be affected by it. But someone like Luke, when they breathe, um, when they breathe in that and it gets trapped and lodged up into the sinuses, it, you know, the sinuses are very dark and um, a great place for uh, things to proliferate. And so he was immediately put on high dose antibiotics and antifungals and miraculously it, it resolved and it, um, he started looking better every day. And if you look at photos from before and after, you just would not even believe that that happens. In fact, the doctors and the um, infectious disease people said, we don't normally have people recover like this. Yeah. So there was no path like there was no like, and he will get over it and we can start chemo back up. And this is the next stage. They, the doctors sat Trevor and I down and basically said, um, he can't have chemo again because if he has chemo again, the mucor will sort of flare up and then, um, he won't be able to, his body won't be able to fight off the mucor and mucor, like I said, is fatal. And, uh, so they also told us that they believed that after two rounds, the chemotherapy wasn't working. And so that was May. So like telling you guys you're out of options. Yeah. And I think that that you think, you think that that is going to be the hardest thing you've ever had to deal with. And at the time it was, it was, um, I cried and cried and cried and, um, just broken and sobbing to the Lord, crying out to the Lord, you know, why is this happening? You know, I trust you, but this is really, really hard and I don't understand. And Luke was so full of joy the whole time. Even with the mucor, he had a fever and his eye kind of hurt, but he was, and he couldn't see out of that eye a little bit. Like it was like a little bit foggy Mm -hmm. and blurry, but he was still Luke and he was still so joyful. And so, you know, when I look back on that, time it's hard for me to um it's sometimes hard for me to recall because it was there was so much uncertainty and so much pain and um but we also had so much hope and just Luke Luke being a light and moving forward there was only moving forward there Mm -hmm. was no there was no um like we, I, I wrote a Facebook post during that time and, and, you know, when he was, it was not that long between when he was diagnosed and it was like two months from when he was diagnosed the second time to when they told us that we were out of options. Um, and I remember someone saying, you know, we're so heartbroken for you. And 
I just remember thinking, I don't, I can't afford to be heartbroken right now. I have to persevere and I have to press on and I have to hold on to the only hope that I have. And that is Christ, because otherwise I'm going to fall apart and not be able to be there for Luke. And I'm not going to be able to survive this if I don't cling to Christ, if I don't cling to um, that hope, that eternal hope that we have. So did you like grieve just in privacy? Like you had to feel what you were feeling, but you're trying to be strong for Luke. So like during that time before from May until he passed away in January, like what, how did you sustain yourself? Like how, how did, what did that look like? So of course, like the hospital again had these incredible people, um, there's a woman named Joanne and she's a nurse and she's actually also a former cancer mom and, or, well, she's always a cancer mom, but Mm. she, uh, I don't know if she specifically works for, uh, families that are, you know, on limited time. Um, but she walked alongside of me and our doctor, uh, Dr. Yoon, Dr. Dr. Janet Yoon. Uh, I remember them sitting down with me and saying, we are your soft place to fall. So I felt like I had a place of knowledge where I could go and ask the really hard questions. And Trevor too, mm-hmm. we could say, um, why am I feeling this way? Why am I grieving? And he hasn't passed away yet. Why do I have all of these really, really intense feelings? And Joe said, that's called anticipatory grief. And it's healthy and it's normal. And it's good to process it now. It doesn't make the grief any better on the other side, Mm -hmm. but it helps you now. It helps you process the things now. It helps you be present now. And we made the decision, Trevor and I made the decision after we, um, they had told us we were on limited time with Luke. We made the decision to make every moment count and to realistically he is a teenager and he didn't want to you know spend every waking moment with us but we um we wanted to just do all of the things do you want ice cream we're going out for ice cream do you want hamburgers we're going out for hamburgers we tried to plan um another vacation where we could spend time together as a family and create memories, creating as many memories as possible. And um, I believe for me personally, that that was one of the best healing things for me to be able to have a purpose, to have a goal and to not sit sort of in the pain and to not try and fix anything, but to just be present and just soak in everything that Luke was. Mm -hmm. And again, they told us with, in regards to having that hard conversation with Luke again, they said, start with the facts, start with, 
you know, don't say you're dying, um, but say, here's, we're, we're not going to do chemo anymore. We're going to choose radiation and that is going to help stop the tumors, but there's nothing they can do right now for your cancer and to not burden him with, you know, the really, really tough things because he's still 14. Mm -hmm. He's not an adult. And if they, again, have the child lead, if they ask all of the questions, then you answer those questions with truth and honesty and compassion and love. But if they're not asking the questions, that means they don't necessarily want to know and Luke didn't want to know and he just wanted to be present and live and take each day as it came and do you think um, he knew like I think at the end you know after like in November I think he knew and maybe December Mm -hmm. but and he would say little things along the way like the last time that he went to um nine ten high school group Mm -hmm. he said to me that was that was fun for my last time and I didn't push it I didn't say well talk to me about that let's talk about that more I just said I'm so glad you had fun Mm. so I didn't push the I didn't push it I just let him sort of um talk about it and we would say at the very end like he would say am I am I going to get better? And we would say, no, I don't, we don't know, Luke, probably not. You know, this is, it's, it's, you know, not, he didn't want to know, am I going to get better? Like, am I dying? He wanted to know, am I always going to have Mm. cancer? Am I always going to be in my room? Am I, and, and so he understood but he didn't want to know because he, we said, you know, yes. And he goes, okay, you know, and just goes back to his room and is playing video games. And he, um, he had a lot of um, moments where he would be frustrated and crying and we would rush in and be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he was like, I lost my game and I can't, I can't believe I lost my game. And we were thinking this was going to be the it. This was going to be the moment. Yeah. But those those hidden feelings that he didn't want to feel and didn't want to think about did come out. It just didn't come out like we would think that they would. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a testimony to how Luke chose to live live in the present and just accept what came his way and move forward. And um there were good days and bad days during that time. And um, hospice, those people are angels. And they are some of the most compassionate, most loving. Uh, if you are a hospice um worker you have you will have my heart forever because to do that day in and day out uh, is a I don't know how they did it was hard for me to to do that with Luke and they did it every single day and it just um I just have so much respect for them yeah so Michelle what were like the last days and moments with Luke you were at home right Yes. So, um, 
In September, things sort of took a turn. He, one of the tumors in his lungs was causing a um, tear in his lung. So he had what's called a pneumothorax. And that's like a tiny air um, hole. Like, you know, if you've ever let a balloon go, it's like that. So he had a surgery to sort of inflate his lung and keep it inflated. Um, And that was just mostly a Band-Aid on his lungs because the tumors were just progressing. By the end, he had multiple tumors in his lungs. And um, he was put on oxygen around the clock. It was sort of graduated and and led by him. If he felt like he needed the oxygen, then we gave him oxygen um, and so by the end, the last month, I would say after Thanksgiving is when things sort of just continued to decline for Luke. Um, he was cognizant and present um, up until, I want to say, late December, like the 20th the week before uh, Christmas and we didn't expect him to, the hospice came and told us it's getting very close Mm -hmm. and um, he was still aware and um, could talk, but it was getting very difficult. And um, he sort of closed his eyes and was sleeping a lot during that time. And, wasn't responding and we weren't sure he was going to make it through Christmas. And then Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas Eve. So the 23rd, I just whispered, tomorrow is Christmas Eve. And he broke out into a smile and said, it is. (laughs) And then I'm not kidding you. The next morning he was awake And he was smiling and he was hungry. He wanted ice cream and he was awake and with us for Christmas Eve and Christmas. And it was the most wonderful, beautiful, bittersweet Christmas. Um, He was not able to, he, he really wanted to come out to the family room to the Christmas tree. And so he, so we brought, Trevor brought him out, carried him out and he opened a few presents there, but then had to go back. Um, But to have him awake and present for Christmas was just such a gift. And then probably around the first, he was with us. During that time, he was still so weak and so tired and not hungry, but he had, uh, and he would have his simple pleasures. He had a thing of pretzels in his room that he loved. He had tons of water. He loved, I mean, he drank, I think like 64 ounces of water a day. (laughs) He just was sucking it down. And uh, he, about the first started to then again, slowly decline. And I mean, there's so many emotions during that time. And there is this just utter lack of control that you think your whole life, you think you're in control of things and you think you've got it, especially as a six in Enneagram six, you think, okay, I have my systems in place. I know exactly what's going to happen. And then 
something like this happens and you just, you come to the foot of the cross and you realize I have no control over anything. I need you, Lord. There isn't, this is so hard. This isn't like anything that I've ever experienced. And I just remember during that time and really during the whole time, but during that time uh, with Luke and we would, Trevor and I would take off sitting with him at his bedside. And then um, we would also sleep. Luke had a, a queen bed. So we would also all snuggle together on his bed um, and which it was crowded, but we, I just said I couldn't leave him. Yeah. Um, there were a few times where I had just, to not sleep with him because he was struggling to breathe and it was too hard for me. Um, but for the most part, we slept uh, with him at night and mm-hmm. I, we would stay with him all day and we would sleep with him at all, all night. And then we would take turns like taking breaks and walking out mm-hmm. of the room. And I just remember coming to this place um just of utter dependence on the Lord and complete surrender of, of I have nothing left, Lord. I don't know what to do. I need you be with me. And, um, you know, I don't, people ask me, people ask me all the time, like, how, how did you do that? I'm, I could never do that. I don't understand. It's so like, I don't even understand how you did it. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I don't really either. I just know that I started with being so honest with God and I didn't hold anything back. And I allowed myself to be to be vulnerable, you know, to say, um, this is, this hurts. This is terrible. I don't understand it. I don't understand you, Lord. Help me, help me get there. Help me trust you. All of the things that, um, you know, you sort of hear that are on a Christian coffee Mm -hmm. mug, you know, (laughs) Bible verses, all of that stuff. It really tested me and said, do you really believe what you say you believe? And if you do, be real with me. Like, I just felt like God was saying, be honest with me. Take, I can take it. I can take all of it. And that's, so that's what I did. I started with being vulnerable with God. And I started with humbling myself and saying, I'm not in control. I don't have the answers. Um, how did he show up? Like, show me what to do, you know, show me how to do that. And the Lord showed up in the most unexpected ways for me, at least it was in the, in my calmness, it was in my ability to be present and to not be overcome by that. I just kept surrendering every day, every moment of every day. And I wasn't perfect um, because none of us are. And I definitely had moments where I was um, 
you know, a mess in a ball crying on the floor. Um, but I also had moments of peace and um, just real clarity about um, trusting the Lord. And I think to be able to get to that level of trust with the Lord in that moment and being able to um, show up and continue to be present was a way that God demonstrated his love for me. And when he said, you know, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. And he was there for me in that time. And the Lord became present in people, in the people that he surrounded me with. Trevor being a huge source of comfort for me and just, we comforted each other and, um, we were able to be vulnerable with each other, which was a definite growth for us mm-hmm. to be in that place together that we couldn't control. Uh, we we processed things differently, but we were in agreement. And to have our marriage survive something like that is another testimony to the Lord being present and powerful in our lives. And... Um, my sister and my parents and Trevor's parents and um, my brother and my friends, everyone came alongside of us and really um, ministered to us and just made themselves available. You know, if I could give any advice to anyone that had someone that they knew that their, you know, a friend's child had cancer, I would say just show up and be available to hold space for the pain that is going to be present and don't try and fix it, but just be willing to sit there with them and say, how can I pray for you? How can I show up for you today? And if they don't know, don't force it on them. They'll get there. And, um, and if you have a special gifting, like my gifting is not food, but if, if, food is your gifting, then give food. If coffee is your gifting, then, you know, give a, show up with a cup of coffee on their doorstep. Um, if they don't want anything, if they want to be private, then respect that too. Um, but we had a lot of people come alongside of us in those early days and, and gosh, Luke's service was Mm. a, a gift. Um, the fact that a thousand people showed up and, over 5,000 watched on Facebook and just they, we were able that we were able to share Luke's life with that many people and share um, just how amazing he was is um, again, that is a testimony to the Lord working and, and that um, he, that Luke affected that many people and that um, he, Luke would, during the first, you know, times when he was in treatment, he would dance. There's lots of videos on (laughs) Facebook, on his Facebook page, and he would dance in his room and he would, we had a disco ball, we had a disco light and he would dance. And he loved that. He loved just being silly and goofy and he would wear funny t-shirts in junior high because he liked to make people smile and laugh. And he loved um, 
during his second treatment that we didn't make him ever wear regular clothes. If he wanted to wear pajamas all day, every day, great. We're on vacation in San Francisco and he wore pajama pants every (laughs) single day. We did not make him change. And I tried to get him, I will be honest, I tried (laughs) to get him like coordinating pajama pants that like looked a little bit stylish, but I also didn't force it. And I just thought, you know what? There are so much harder things to worry about and pajama pants and wearing pajamas in public is not one of them. And it'll probably Uh, always make you smile to think of Luke in San Francisco in his pajama pants. Yep. Yep. (laughs) It does. It does. Michelle, how has, how has Luke, how has your son changed you? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I think, you know, with Luke gone, one of the harder things for me is to realize that that piece of our family, that light, that um, he had that innate joy and contagious laugh. And he always, um, he always used to laugh at Trevor's jokes. And when I was trying to be funny, but was not <laughs> funny, um, he, he got my humor and he enjoyed being with me. And so to have that piece gone in our family is to say it's hard is an understatement and it goes so much deeper than that and requires, again, like I was talking about, surrender. It requires surrender every single day to, I don't understand Lord, but, um, I trust you. And so I think to be present to the day, to be present to this season, to be present to whatever is going on in my life, good or bad, to be present to it and to show up to it, that is a lesson that I have taken away from that the entire experience and also um, from Luke. And Luke showed up and he was present and he found joy and not inauthentic joy, mm-hmm. not like I'm going to grit my teeth and fake it, but to, to just be present to whatever the day held and to be honest with God and to um, s- smile and laugh when it's time and to cry and grieve when it's time. And um, it's only been like three months. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of of the stuff is still fresh, but we were able to um, smile and laugh quickly afterwards because of Luke, because of the just sweet, joyful kid that he was. And, um, And I think that is a legacy that will, um, it'll carry on for the rest of my life. Yeah. How, I'm sure you get this question a lot. How are you doing now? Like, how do you guys have, are you able to create a new normal? Like what, what is life like for you guys? So I think that, um, you know, because of, uh, where we are in this season of um, being in, we're recording this in quarantine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think during this season, um, 
I didn't think that I would be grieving in, you know, Luke passed away at home. So I didn't think I would be grieving in the place where he passed away. I thought I would have more opportunities to escape and be out in the world. And uh, ironically, I am asked to grieve in this space. And it's a really, really hard thing. It's not easy. And again, I think it's, I'm trying really hard. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying really hard to just be vulnerable with the Lord and say, okay, so this stinks. I don't want to be here. I don't, I want to be away. I don't want to be grieving, you know, alone. I want to be able to have coffee with friends or I want to be able Mm -hmm. to go to the beach and I really can't do that. So, um, there are good days and there are bad days. There are good days where I don't think about it a lot. And there are bad days where I'm crying and I think about it all of the time. Um, and one of the things that someone told us, um, before and after Luke passed away was that grief is not linear. It, it follows its own path. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Sometimes you go back to, you know, the day he died. Sometimes you are anticipating the future with joy and you're looking forward. And, um, I think it's just, it's all over the place right now. And I'm just trying to trust the Lord every day. I sort of have a routine right now that is helping me cope and I'm taking care of myself. You know, I spent um, five years, whether he was in remission or not, just really caring for Luke 100% of the time and you know, when he was in remission, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And when he was in treatment, I was caring for all of his needs and making sure he got all of his medicines and getting to his treatments and appointments. And so now all of a sudden, I am just taking care of myself and my daughter and my husband. And that is a new normal for me. And it's requiring a lot of Again, every day, I feel like it's a broken record, mm-hmm. but I just uh, I just am being vulnerable with the Lord, honest, and then I'm, I am taking that step forward in trust and obedience and just saying, okay, Lord, you're in control. What, what does today hold? And sometimes today holds getting up and taking a shower. And sometimes the day um, and trusting the Lord looks like getting a goal accomplished, getting um, things around the house done, getting um, to be able to see people or FaceTime people or, um, you know, uh, getting more things accomplished. But I'm just trying to not go too far into the future right now and just, like I said before, be present to the day. Yeah. Michelle, how have you felt that God has set you free? I would say in that the ability to give over control to him and to surrender that control is the most freeing feeling I have ever felt. And that when when he has the control and I don't have it, 
I am the most free and able to um, really rest in him and trust in him. And I'm able to be my best self. I'm able to move towards that uh, more carefree nine, Enneagram nine. (laughs) I feel like I'm talking about the Enneagram a lot. I do too. Don't be sorry. I always say, I'm like, this is not a podcast about the Enneagram, but I do mention it in every episode. (laughs) It's hard not to. It's it's hard not to. And it's, I think because it gives me the language that I need to convey how, what it's like to be me and also to, um, just talk about who I am in Christ. So is there a way that listeners, um, that we can support you guys in this season, in this time, any way that we can help you tangible? I would, yeah, I would say, um, well, number one is prayer. And, um, if you know me to check in on me, whether by Facebook message or, um, a text or a phone call, um, and just say, Hey, I mean, nothing big, like, Hey, I'm just thinking about you today. And if you want to chat, I'm here. If you don't, that's fine too. Or do you want to, you know, um, I guess we're in, we're in quarantine (laughs) right now. So there are, you can't just go for coffee, but, um, to, uh, again, be, you know, be available if, if that is your calling, if you have the time to give that. Um, and I would say, um, yeah, I think that's, I think just praying and, you know, um, being available to chat if, if you can, um, we we're not hurting financially. We were able to cover his expenses, his treatment expenses, um, and his hospice expenses pretty well through his insurance. And, um, we are okay if, you know, financially. Um, so there isn't really anything like that, that I can think of. Um, we have a Facebook page. His Facebook page is facebook.com backslash Luke the Brave. And um, that is where I'm posting all of the updates. And I'm, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know if people want me to continue to post, Mm -hmm. but I am. And um, I'm really posting more for me than for other people. And, you know, my, at this time during this season, my grief sort of needs a place to go. And because uh, we are in this season, my grief doesn't have a lot of places to go. So I'm trying to share where we are in our journey and where we are in our, um, grief as much as I can and you're welcome to join me there and um, we're hoping to in the future start a podcast and you know talk about our experiences in detail and my husband wants to do it with me and sort of how we were thinking during that time and be open and vulnerable and provide resources for people so you can look for that in the future um, but for right now, the Facebook page, Luke the Brave. And then I'm also on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's My Instagram is called Be Brave, Keep Going. 
And so you can find me there and I'm, I'm sharing there. I'm sort of sharing equally on Facebook and Instagram and trying to, I share more on Instagram stories of day to day mm-hmm. and less that's a little less uh, cultivated and curated and mm-hmm. it's more just me every day. Yeah. So. Michelle, thank you for just being so honest with us and telling us about something that is obviously just, you know, you felt so deeply over the years. Um, It's an honor to hear about Luke and to see his face. And um, I highly recommend just following along, Michelle. Um, If you don't know them at all and you see Luke for the first time, you're going to see exactly what she's talking about. His smile. Yeah. That kid had a good smile. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. His contagious smile. It really lights up. Yeah. The, the camera and yeah. uh, he smiled a lot over his lifetime and yeah. he was joyful a lot and I was so thankful to be able to capture that yeah thank you so much for joining us Michelle thanks Again, don't forget to check out the show notes where we have all of the info and links and resources we talked about in the show. You can go to beckymorquecho.com, B-E-C-K-Y-M-O-R-Q-U-E-C-H-O.com. Thanks for listening in.